Let us pray. God, we thank you for this passage of Scripture, and we pray that as we begin this new series in the book of Acts, that you would guide us as we reflect upon what the early church was like, what they valued, and the way that they connected with you and reached out to their community. We pray that you would challenge us as a congregation, that we would find wisdom from your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been in that awkward situation in which you're expecting something from someone and you're really not sure if they remembered or not? And so you're hanging on every word and action and you're you're trying to anticipate, are they actually going to do what you expect and that you're hoping they'll do, or have they completely forgot? Is it something that is completely out of their mind? Something like this has actually happened to Amanda and I. Uh, when we were uh, preparing to get married, we chose to have the bands published, and that's uh, basically when uh, in the, the local church that you attend on a regular worship service on a Sunday they would announce that so-and-so is marrying so-and-so, and it was uh, one of the ways in which uh, you could prepare to get married. So at the time, I was a youth pastor in Brantford, and Amanda was attending a church here in St. Catharines. And since we were getting married at a church here in St. Catharines, we decided we would have the bands published uh, at uh, the church where Amanda was attending. And so uh, I made sure to come down on a Sunday, and we were sitting in the service, and we're getting ourselves all prepared, all excited about uh, getting our bands published, hearing our names announced as we are uh, going to be getting married, and uh, so we're all anticipating it. And uh, the pastor gets up and begins the announcements, and he's talking about whatever, and then nothing. There was no mention. But I thought, well, you know, that's not that big of a deal. Maybe he's waiting for the prayer time, because it makes sense. You know, you'd want to pray for this new couple. So uh, it's probably going to be during the prayer time that he's going to publish the bands. And nothing. There's nothing. And so he begins to preach. And at that point, Amanda and I are thinking, okay, this is not going to happen. He is not going to announce what we need to announce. This, this has been... Uh, not what we were expecting. He has completely forgotten. And right in the middle of his sermon, he pulls out this piece of paper and he reads the bands. And it ended up that he actually did forget. And he remembered during his sermon. And interestingly, he tied it into what he was saying in his sermon. And it all worked out fine. But he really had us going there. We were pretty stressed out. We didn't think it was going to happen. We thought that he had forgotten what we were really looking forward to, what was really important to us. I get something similar of an impression when I look at this passage in the book of Acts. And so at this point in the book of Acts, as we're just starting, uh, this is the sequel to Luke's gospel. Uh, Jesus has been crucified. He has been raised from the dead. Uh, it has been 40 days that he has been uh, spending time with his disciples, uh, having special resurrection appearances. And now it's time for Jesus to ascend to heaven, to go back to his father. 
And so the disciples are kind of hanging on his words here and his actions, and they know that this is his last day with them, at least physically. And so they're thinking, okay, Jesus, you're sort of missing something here. And finally, they say to, to Jesus, Jesus, is this the time when you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Because they're feeling like he's forgotten this, that this is something that should have been done. And yet Jesus didn't seem to be focused on that. He was all ready to go back. Now, it makes sense that they would be thinking about this because uh, many Jews at that time, their entire concept of the Messiah was of uh, a son of David, one who would be like King David, who brought freedom and uh, political independence to the people of Israel. And so they definitely expected Jesus to do something like that. And Jesus had expanded that concept of the Messiah. They had uh, gradually learned that Jesus was a whole lot different than what they expected in a Messiah. But they still certainly thought that at some point he was going to do this. Uh, Jesus on the cross defeated sin. In the empty tomb, Jesus defeated death. How much harder would it be for Jesus to reach out and to defeat the Roman Empire? Compared to sin and death, it should be relatively easy. Uh, there had been uh, human beings who had uh, brought Israel into independence and had been able to fight off foreign occupiers. And Jesus was God incarnate, so it should have been fairly easy for him to do that. And yet, that didn't seem to be what he was planning to do. Was this something that just slipped Jesus' mind, that he forgot to put it in his day timer, that, oh yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm going to defeat death, I'm going to defeat sin, and uh, there was something else, but I can't remember what it is. I don't think that's what was going on. We're actually going to take a deeper look at what was happening here. And again, as I said, I can't blame the disciples for being concerned about this idea of restoring Israel to its kingdom, of, of achieving that political independence, of overthrowing the Romans and having their freedom again. Uh, because they were sick of paying taxes. They didn't like having Roman troops occupying their nation. And it was not something that they wanted to have happen. If we were in a similar position, if there was a foreign power that was occupying our nation, we would want to be freed from that as well. But in addition to that, when we look at the Old Testament, we see that God had a reputation of freeing the people of Israel, uh, whether it was getting the, the people of Israel uh, out of Egypt during the time of Moses, or if it was the time of the judges where God would use the judges to overcome uh, the different uh, foreign tribes that were uh, harassing the Israelites, or during the time of King David, or over and over again that we find in the Old Testament. And even more, there were promises in the Old Testament that God would restore the nation of Israel. So we can see why the disciples were thinking about this. It would just seem to make sense that this would be a part of the plan. But was it? 
Well, it's interesting to look that Jesus does respond to their question. And he doesn't say, oh, no, I don't do that. Uh, Israel is not going to be restored. Uh, that's all something of the past now. Uh, that's not included in any of the, the future plans. He doesn't say that. He says, basically, it's none of your business, the timing of when that's going to happen. Meaning it wasn't going to happen that day. And when it was going to happen, who knows? Probably not in their lifetime. And of course, we don't know uh, when this is something that would happen. There are people today who think that the modern state of Israel is the fulfillment of the restoring of the kingdom of Israel. Uh, other people see it as a more eschatological, that is uh, something to do with the end times, that it's something more spiritual in terms of uh, the reconstituting of the people of Israel. We don't know. What we do know is Jesus said that was not what he was going to be doing right at that moment. And in a previous message, we saw that one of the most important words in the Bible is the but, the big but, where something is said that seems to be kind of discouraging, and then there's the but, and then there's something that is a bit more encouraging, or something that is more positive. And we find that exact same pattern here in this passage as well. And so uh, it is not about restoring the kingdom of Israel right at that time. And Jesus says, but, but what? But the Holy Spirit would be given to them. The Holy Spirit would be given to them. And it's, this is really important that it wasn't just about that God uh, expected them to do things and then they could tag on a little bit of Holy Spirit on the end. Rather, it was going to be the Spirit that was going to empower them to do what God wanted them to do. So what were they supposed to do? They were to be witnesses of Jesus. That is what their role was. Your focus is not supposed to be on what's going to happen to the nation of Israel. Your focus is to be a witness of Jesus. Now, now what is a witness? It's not necessarily about being a professional evangelist. And we might be intimidated by the disciples because we are they're the people that we say are, are saint this and saint that. And yet when you look at them, they were pretty normal people uh, who had their share of weaknesses. Uh, so they were not professionals by any means. But a witness anyways is something very similar. So let's think about how we use the word on a regular basis. So if there's a crime that's committed in our community and we don't know what has happened, what do the police do? They ask for witnesses. They want witnesses to come forward, people who have seen what has happened that can help them arrive at the truth, to find out what really took place. They need witnesses to testify to what actually happened. And that's the basic idea that is expected of the disciples. They are to be witnesses of the truth, of their experience with Jesus, of what Jesus taught, of what Jesus did, of his death, of his resurrection. Those are the kinds of things that the disciples are expected to be witnesses of. And Jesus doesn't leave it there. He goes on to say that they are to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Now, a lot of people have made note of the fact that this seems to be a, a geographical expansion. So 
Uh, they are currently in Jerusalem, so they are to be witnesses where there are. Uh, and then the region in which Jerusalem is, is Judea, and so they are to expand a little bit beyond that. And then Samaria is the next region past Judea, and so they're going farther out again. And you can see this geographical expansion uh, in the book of Acts. And in fact, that's what we're going to do as we go through Acts over the, uh, the next uh, number of months. But there's something else that is going on here. It is more than just geographical expansion. It's also about going out of their comfort zones because Jesus could have easily said, go to uh, Jerusalem, Judea, and Galilee because Galilee was something that they would have been comfortable with. It was a heavy Jewish population there. In fact, that's where uh, Jesus and most of the disciples were from, were from, from Galilee. And that's the, the next Jewish part beyond Judea. But in between Galilee and Judea is this area of Samaria. And the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans was tense to say the best. Uh, it really was really rough. There was a lot of ethnic and religious hatred between these two groups. And so what Jesus is saying beyond the geographical expansion is to go out from where you're comfortable to more and more of where you're not comfortable, to go to the people that you are going to have difficulty with and be the witnesses of Jesus to those people as well. And that's an important reminder for us. So what does this mean for us? What do we do with this message? Well, uh, our experience with Jesus has been different than that of the disciples. The disciples knew him uh, personally. They spent time with him physically. They uh, ate and drank and, and slept all together in the, in the same place. And yet the principles are all the same. Now remember how this started. It started with a question by the disciples. When are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They were thinking in terms of retrieving political power. And I find that that same question comes up a lot among Christians, especially here in Canada. There are people, uh, there are Christians, who are grieving the loss of the influence that we once had in society. I can remember from my own childhood that we uh, couldn't shop on Sundays. The, uh, all the stores were closed on Sundays. Uh, why? Because that was the Christian heritage of our country, that uh, there had been pressure upon Christian, from Christians upon society that we not shop on Sundays. Uh, when I was a kid in school, there was mandatory uh, reciting of the Lord's Prayer, not just for Christian students, but for all students. Everyone was expected. Unless you could get uh, special permission not to do it, we were all expected to pray the Lord's Prayer. And there are some people who look back to that and say, those were the good old days. Back when the church had authority, when the church had political pressure that we could put on the government, on society, on the public, and make people live according to our Christian values. And people grieve that that is no longer there. And, and some people may be crying out to God, how long, O oh Lord, uh, before you restore Christian Canada? When do we get our Christian Canada back? 
because things have changed so much and the church doesn't have the same role in society that it once had. And yet, the principle that is spoken about in this passage is not that of authority, but of witness. Uh, we may want to have authority over society. And Jesus would say, but, but, by the power of the Holy Spirit, be my witnesses in this community. That's what Jesus wants us to do. Not to have authority over others who believe something different, but for us to be witnesses of them. Now, you might think, oh, that sounds really hard to be a witness. Well, you know what? I'm going to make it worse by telling you that the Greek word, and normally you don't care what the Greek word is, but the Greek word for witness is martyr. That's what it, a martyr means witness. Now, we think of a martyr as someone who gives their life for their faith. And originally, a martyr was simply a witness. But the early Christians, when they would witness for their faith, it would often lead to their death. So, but originally, that's not what martyr meant. Now, here in Canada, uh, it is unlikely that we are going to be uh, killed for our faith, but we will perhaps experience uh, some, some pressure not to do that. We might offend people, but it is very unlikely that we are going to be killed for being Christians or witnessing to the Christian faith. Now, you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, I can't be a witness for Jesus. I've not been to Bible college. I've not been to seminary. Uh, I don't have the training. I haven't gone through an evangelism class. I don't have the natural gifts of evangelism. I can't do that. But Jesus isn't saying to do all of those things. Uh, if you can do those things, those things are great. But he's saying, be witnesses. Now, I want you to, I want to think back to what we were talking about before, about the way we normally use witness, and thinking of it in terms of a crime, okay? Now, I want you to imagine uh, that there's a shooting that takes place, and the police are interviewing someone who saw the shooting take place. And, and the, the witness says, I saw so-and-so uh, point a gun at this other person, and pull the trigger, and the gun fired, and the person fell. Now, the police are not going to challenge this person in the nature of ballistics. They're not going to ask, well, what kind of weapon was it? Uh, to tell us, identify the pistol that was used. Uh, what was the caliber of the bullet? They're not going to ask. They're not going to expect that witness to have that. All they want to know from that witness is, what did you see? What did you experience? And there are other people who are trained in those other areas who can do that. And it's the same thing for us. We might not be able to describe all of the things that theologically happened on the cross, but we can describe our own experience with Jesus. We can talk about where we were before we met Jesus, how we met Jesus, and the change that that has been in our life. Those are the th kinds of things that we can share. And people can't argue with our story. Uh, they might be able to argue with our theology, but they can't argue with our story. And it's the same principle in terms of Jesus wanting us to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And that doesn't mean that we have to get on a plane and fly to Israel and start witnessing in the streets of Jerusalem. What it means is we begin where we are, 
with the people who are like us, with the people who uh, are, we are comfortable with, uh, with the people in our neighborhood, with our friends, with our family, and we witness to them. We share the story. We, we explain to them what Jesus has done in our life. And then we move on to Judea, to uh, the place where things are perhaps a little bit less comfortable. Maybe it's uh, with people we work with or people we go to school with. Uh, it's a little bit beyond our, our immediate area. But then we have to go to Samaria. And the Samaritans are going to be different for all of us. The Samaritans represent the group that we're most uncomfortable with. And we can't use the excuse that, well, you know, I really disagree with certain things that they do or believe or uh, the way they act or the way they talk or anything like that because there was deep-seated hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. And the Jews were, uh, the Jewish uh, Christian disciples were expected still to go and to witness to the Samaritans. And we're going to see as we get into the book of Acts that they did do that, although it was difficult for them. And so we have no excuse. We still need to be witnesses to the Samaritans in our life, whoever they may be. When Jesus was preparing to ascend to heaven, to go back to his father, he didn't forget about the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. Rather, that wasn't his priority right at that moment. His priority was that his disciples would be his witnesses, that they would witness by the power of the Holy Spirit in Judea, Jerusalem, and Samaria. That was the expectation, and it's the same priority for us. Jesus wants us to be witnesses. When I say we are to witness, I don't mean that we're shoving religion down people's throats. It doesn't mean that we are forcing our, our ideas and our beliefs and our opinions upon people who are not interested. That's not what we're talking about. It's not about standing on a street corner and yelling at people. That is not what witnessing is about because we have to look back to where Jesus started here. Right after the but was, but the Holy Spirit will come upon you and empower you to do this. And that is the good news, that we don't do this by our own strength, by our own wisdom. We do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to pray, God, give me the opportunity to tell my story of you. Help me to be a witness. Open up the opportunity for that to happen. Give me the words. Help me to know what to say and also what not to say. We do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we do it with those that we're most comfortable with and then those that we are a little bit less comfortable with. And then we go all the way to the Samaritans, to the people we are least comfortable with, the people we might struggle with, and we testify to them as well. We share gently and respectfully what we have experienced in Jesus Christ. And that is what Jesus calls all of us to do. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you for this conversation that you had with the disciples 2,000 years ago as you were preparing to go back to heaven. 
And we thank you that you gave them this message to be your witnesses by the power of the Spirit. And we thank you that that same message is given to us. We may fear being your witnesses. We don't know what it's going to be like. We don't know how people will respond. We don't want to be the people who are so forceful that they actually uh, turn people off of you. We want to do it according to your spirit. We ask that in this coming week that you would give us an opportunity to witness to you, that you would give us the wisdom to know what to say and what not to say. And we pray that we would be found faithful in the calling you have placed upon our life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.